Hello, hello! Welcome back to Loki's Librarian. If you are new here, welcome. This is where I am reading through the enormous library books that is not currently behind me because I am once again traveling for work. But after I read the book of the week, I give you a quick synopsis and tell you what I think about it. Just realize the book of the week is not immediately within sight. Here we go. My hotel room this time has a little bit less space. It's a little more cramped, so I'm working on a very small area. Small area. Anyways, I give you a quick synopsis and then I tell you what I think about them. So if you like books, just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos and let me know what you think in the comments. This week's book of the week, which is Saving Aziz, How the Mission to Help One Became a Calling to Rescue Thousands from the Taliban by Chad Robichaux with David L. Thomas. The accompanying cocktail is called Brother in Arms and it is one and a half ounces of Blanco tequila, one and a half ounces of lime sour, a half ounce of watermelon juice, jalapeno and orange slice to garnish. So let's do this. Um, for those of you who do not know who Chad Robichaux is, he is a Force Marine, Force Recon Marine, uh, who served eight tours in Afghanistan and during every single one of his tours, his translator was Aziz. Now, Robichaux outlines in the book, uh, uh, just how over the course of eight lengthy deployments, he and Aziz developed a very strong bond. Which is kind of why I went with the Brothers in Arms cocktail here. It is wickedly hot in my hotel room. Whew. Apparently Utah likes things really hot in the winter because I'm like dying here. Anyways, um, it was not just as co-workers and a friendship of convenience, right? And, and that's a lot of people say, oh, my best friend, my, you know, my work wife, my work husband, they're, you know, my best friend, whatever. But then once, you know, one of you leaves the job, you're no longer really in contact. That's well, not quite what happened here. Um, they, they became very good friends. And is given the operations that Robichaux was a part of, Aziz was also required to undergo extensive military special operations training, a lot of that training directed by Robichaux's team, and they wanted to work with Aziz specifically because of his personality and leadership qualities. They didn't have lime sour, they had a lemon sour, but not a lime sour, and I went with a sweetened lime juice because I don't like, really like sour drinks. Because I feel like brothers are, you know, it should, this is like, a heroic sweet story and so I wanted something a little sweet or not sour so I went with a sweet lime but whatever. Then in 2007-2008 Robichaux while he was on deployment went into a mental stress spiral that left him with severe PTSD and he was immediately pulled from Afghanistan. Um, now this was at his behest all right he, he reached out to his uh, uh, commanding officer and basically gave the code phrase that said, I need to get the bleep out of Dodge right now because I am in this stress spiral and things are going bad. I'm making bad decisions, so I need evacuation. And he was immediately pulled from Afghanistan. And from there, their contact became essentially social media only. Now understand this was not because they were no longer friends. This was not strictly because it was a convenience friendship, the convenience being that they were working together, it's because Robichaux's security clearances for the jobs he was doing with the military and even after he retired required him to minimize contact with foreign nationals, um, which I mean, anybody who's worked in a cleared contractor position understands what that's like. So they basically limited their, their contact to social media, liking each other's Facebook posts, you know, tweets, whatever. Um, during this time, let me shake this. This is a shaken cocktail, so let me shake this up really quick. Now, during this time, 
Robichaux, what am I doing? Went through some massive downs before finding his feet and creating the Mighty Oaks Foundation, which is a faith-based organization whose mission is to help veterans who are struggling with PTSD kind of find their way back through the challenges of life and, and into a better place, like a better headspace. All right, I'm gonna leave a little in there, throw in my jalapeno slices and orange slice. He performs his foundation and that's where he's at. He's doing these not-for-profit not work with the Mighty Oaks Foundation helping veterans. This same time, Aziz, who is highly wanted by the Taliban at this point in his life because he is a traitor to Islam because he was helping the Americans. He's westernized because he was helping the Americans and because he speaks fluent English. Just speaking English was enough of a crime to get his name on the most wanted list for the Taliban. Orange. I wish I had a bigger cup. We're just going to chuck the orange in there. So Aziz has been trying to utilize the special immigration visa to which he is entitled and which he earned as an ally who provided this invaluable help to our troops. And because the bureaucratic red tape is not actually designed to, you know, help people, it's basically designed to hinder people. So you give up, makes their lives easier if you just give up. Six years later, Aziz is still waiting for his visa to be approved. So six years later, Visa, uh, Aziz is still waiting for his visa to be approved because the Taliban would not just stop at murdering Aziz. The hit list is for his entire family, including his wife and six children. They all need safe harbor out of Afghanistan. Now, that's the meat and potatoes of what leads up to the April 2021 troop withdrawal announcement President Biden made, which painted a fresh target on the back of every single one of our allies in Afghanistan. I mean, not just Aziz, all of them now had fresh panic to get the hell out and to get themselves, their family, their children, their loved ones safe. Now, I'm really not doing this justice. Uh, this book ripped me apart. Um, I believe I cried from Glenn Beck's introduction through the conclusion, which had a, like a happy fairy tale type ending. Don't get me wrong. It was excellent, but I just cried. I cried. I had to keep putting it down to give myself a break from the crying. I mean, Robichaux lays out in excruciating detail, like details, he details the mainstream media, provides detail that the mainstream media goes out of its way not to discuss, um, and just how evil the Taliban is. This, God, that's good. That is quite tasty. Even with the sweet lime sauce, it's quite tasty. It's like sauce, lime juice, quite tasty. Mm. I like that one. So he tells us about this Olympic-sized swimming pool that the Russians built back in the 80s when the Russians, Russia and the United States were fighting their proxy war in Afghanistan. Um, the Russians had built this Olympic-sized swimming pool. I think it was in Kabul. And when they left, well, the Taliban has no reason to have a swimming pool. They're not sending athletes to the Olympics. So they turned this pool into an execution pit. They would, you know, hang people from rafters above the pool and just, you know, let that act as a free fall drop. And they would line people up in the deep end of the pool and use that as a backdrop for the bullets. He graphically describes how the Taliban treats prisoners and the Taliban's lists of women who were to be given to Taliban fighters as rewards for services rendered. Uh, this, incidentally, is, this is not like guesswork. This is not stuff that, that like, like campfire horror stories that, you know, soldiers tell themselves to justify their reason for being there. This is stuff that is solidly backed up by independent people like Ayan Hirsi Ali. Remember I read her book a year ago, Pray? 
Um, Mona El Tahaway talks about the treatment of women under certain sects of Islam. Obviously, not all Islam. All right, nobody's saying all Islam. Hell, Aziz is Muslim, so it's not all Islam, right? But there is a very certain sect that is uh, fueled by evil. They're like no other word for it. They're fueled by evil, and this is who we are fighting over there. So with this background of the atrocities of the Taliban and knowing the danger that Aziz and the other allies had skyrocketed now with Biden's announcement of a unilateral withdrawal, basically he just handed the keys to the kingdom to the Taliban. Uh, Robichaud knew that Aziz's time was out. So he started pulling together a team and they formed a second not-for-profit um, with, direct, with the direct and apt name of Save Our Allies. Aziz was the specific target that Robichaud wanted to get, Robichaud wanted to get out, but he also knew there were literally thousands who had helped, of people who had helped our military over the 20 years we were in Afghanistan, and they all needed safe evacuation now, right? Not two weeks from now, not December, January. They needed it now. So Robichaud outlines their vetting process and remains, I think, rightfully confident that no bad faith actors have entered the United States through the efforts of Save Our Allies and other non-governmental organizations. However, he goes into great detail of what an unmitigated clusterfuck the entire withdrawal was, including that the airport in Kabul was under the auspices of the State Department, not the Department of Defense. So basically the Department of Defense, the, the, the Marines that were there wanted to go out and help people, and they were prohibited from doing so by the State Department, because the State Department seemed to think you could negotiate with the Taliban despite, you know, literally decades of evidence otherwise. Um, he also points out the State Department is the one who would periodically open the gates of the airport to let refugees in because, you know, they had to be seen to be doing something, not just turning their backs on our allies, except that the people who could get to the front of the gates and actually get into the airport for evacuation were healthy young men, but not necessarily the ones who had helped us. There was no vetting done by the State Department. so. If we have bad faith actors in the United States now, you can kind of draw that conclusion what you will from the show, but don't blame the non-governmental GM uh, uh, organizations, the NGOs. They did their job exceedingly well and they helped thousands of people who needed it that our, our country turned their backs on. Uh, he describes in horrifying detail how women would crowd surf their babies to the gates of the airport hoping to at least get the babies out. Um, he talks about babies who are thrown over the wall, hoping that somebody would catch them on the other side. That did not end well. He also discusses the incident that Tim did the same incident Tim Kennedy did in his book Scars and Stripes, of that base commander who turned a fully loaded bus away rather than just taking you know a minute to check documents, essentially condemning like 30 to 40 U.S. citizens, as well as, you know, a hundred of our allies who are on this bus to just whatever fate they could find with the Taliban. Um, they should have 100% been allowed in. As humanitarian refugees, if nothing else, they should have been allowed in. So that incident that had me so outraged during Tim Kennedy's book, I at least get the gratifying information in Saving Aziz that the base commander was relieved of his command and the incident is or was up for review. I think it was with a Senate subcommittee. I mean, good, good. That guy should have been relieved of command. I hope bad things happen to him as a result of the Senate subcommittee. The NGOs, when they did their evacuations, they 
transported all of these refugees to third-party locations called lily pad locations. Um, one of the biggest ones that we received a massive amount of help from was the royal family of the, the UAE, United Arab Emirates. I, I was blown away by how much help the royal family provided. Just blown away. And that good people the world over, including in Islamic states, know that there is a very real problem with the Taliban. Right? They are aware of this problem. They did everything they could to help the people escape who needed to. A lot of things about this book uh, made me feel really justified in the negative, like, panning review I gave of the book I read a year and some change ago, The, the Jesus and John Wayne, where she basically blames, you know, white Christian men for the ruin of America. And it was largely white Christian men who stepped up to do the right thing here. So, yeah, I feel pretty justified now in panning that book a year ago because screw her. After a long time in a refugee camp in the UAE, Aziz made it to America. And the fairy tale ending is that he's now working with Robichaux at the Mighty Oaks Foundation. So, cheers. Okay. Make sure I don't have jalapeno on my hands here while I wipe my eyes, because that would really suck. All right, so this book was so damn good. I, I'm not even kidding when I say I cried through the whole thing. I'm still crying, clearly. I cried in uh, horror. I cried in sorrow. I cried in joy, and I cried in shame. Um, like literally all of those things like ran through me. I cried in horror at what the Taliban does and how evil they are. I cried in sorrow for those who could not be saved. I cried in joy for those who could be saved. And something like 12,000 people were successfully airlifted out during like a three-week period. That's a phenomenal effort. I mean, God. That's just amazing. Um, and I cried in shame. I, I'm ashamed of our government. I'm ashamed of, of how we turned our backs on our allies there. It's pretty horrible. And I cried in compassion for the thousands of people who will likely never see home again. If you want to understand just how awful Afghanistan was, but also how beautiful and consequently how tragic this takeover was, this is an excellent resource. There's, there's quite a bit of geopolitics in here from a man who thoroughly understands the subject matter. This isn't guesswork from you know fr from a, a talking head who's been given talking points that are approved of by the administration this is somebody who was there and understands one note having less to do with the story but was kind of a big kudos to the editing department and because of the jobs he's held not just with the marines but as a government contractor Robichaux had to submit his manuscript to the department of defense for a redaction of any classified or controlled information and that's that's pretty standard, all right? People who work in the industry, that's something that, that's part of the paperwork you sign on entering and or leaving the industry. It says if you ever write a book, you're gonna, and it doesn't matter what kind of book. It can be a fiction book. They're gonna wanna have editing rights to, to be able to say, no, this is classified, that can't be in there. 
I get it. All right, I do because there are certain certainly things we would not want. You got to assume a book like this could or would be read by bad faith actors, enemies in Afghanistan. You don't want to give them information, so I get it, and so does Mr. Robichaux. So that's fine. But the books I read in the past that done this, that did this, it became virtually un unreadable because they would basically just leave these huge, big chunks of black in the middle of the page, kind of as a shock value of, look how much information they're hiding from us. And all it does is make it unreadable. In this one, they, I don't know if, if it was unintentionally, I'm assuming it was, but they left the black, the, the redacted bits in there, but they reworded the sentence so that you could literally skip over the black and it would still make a logical, complete sentence. It was still a full paragraph. Um, I basically just let you know that there was more information that might provide additional context, but nothing that was going to wreck the story. And so they did a really good job. It's not necessarily strictly part of the book or part of the review, but it certainly made it very readable. Um, so thank you for that, editors. And uh, thank you, Mr. Robichaux, for all you did, all you do. And that's it for this week. Thank you guys for watching. I don't know if you guys noticed my nails changed. That's because I had a camera malfunction yesterday, so I'm having to re-record the last half of this, and I was really hoping, really hoping that I could get through it without crying, having done it once before, and clearly that was not the case. At least the cocktail's good, because I had to remix that one too, and it was, you know, worth it. So, we just got that going for me. See you guys next week. Bye.